welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Miller. Today, my guest is a woman who I discovered a couple months ago after listening to her podcast, Sincerely Letty. I've learned so much through her truth-telling episodes on history and racial justice. I knew I wanted to have her on the podcast to share her story, passion, and knowledge with you. I'm so glad she agreed to sit down and talk with me. Letty Shoemate is a black woman, historian, anti-racism educator, and a racial justice advocate. She's got a passion for breaking down history and leading anti-racism work. Letty's professional resume includes a master's in conflict management and resolution and a master's in history with a focus on American history, specializing in black history and race studies. As a historian, breaking down history to connect the past to today and encompassing anti-racism work is Letty's passion. In our conversation, Letty shares not only her story, but we dive in deeper into the larger issues that must be confronted to dismantle white supremacy culture in America today. As you'll hear in our conversation, Letty doesn't hold back when it comes to tough conversations. I know some parts of our conversation might be hard to hear, especially for my white listeners, but I encourage you, lean into the discomfort and learn from all that Letty Shoemate has to teach us. Letty, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. Thank you. Well, I am legitimately just thrilled and thankful you are here because I know this is a busy, crazy, tense, emotional time and you're taking time off of your podcast and to kind of just give yourself a breather, I'm sure. So I appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to me and my audience and we will We'll cover a lot today. Like I said, we'll talk about your story, but then there's a lot of other things to dive into because you are a historian and history in the making right now that is repeating past history. And so we'll see which direction this conversation goes because there's so many ways it could go. This morning again, I was like, oh gosh, there's so many things I want to talk to her about. So <laughs> you start off just telling um, just some basics about who you are, where you live and all of that. Yeah, so I'm 32 years old, and I always tell people my age because I feel like a lot of times people don't have that transparency to, and I know there are listeners who maybe younger than me or, you know, and older than me, and it's just nice to um, be transparent and real about life. And um, I feel like because with social media these days, there's idea of, oh, if I do all these things the perfect way then everything just is easy and it's like no like it takes a while sometimes to get where you're wanting to be um and still growing into who I want to my things I want to do but I live in Leland North Carolina which is like 10 minutes away from Wilmington I know a lot of people have heard of Wilmington North Carolina before Mm -hmm. um my parents uh I grew up at well let me start over. I was born in Maryland, but moved back to North Carolina when I was five. And my parents still lived in Maryland um, for like 30 years. Okay. They, were, they also were born down here. But okay. So, so they left. I heard you um, on the Speaking of Racism podcast, mm-hmm. which I love. I've been listening to that for the last year and listened to you on that this week. So your parents were born in the South, 1940s and 50s. So they saw a lot, but they, did they purposely leave the South to head up to get north? My dad, um, my dad left the South um, in 1964 and went to New York, Brooklyn. And so he uh, purposely left. Oh yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. There was just a lot. And he also was part of the, like the last leg of the great migration, which is 
so cool to think about. Um, like my dad, you, you know, part of history. And um, I say that too, because he purposely left because of things that were going on in the South. Um, his family um, continued to work and well, at the time worked for someone. So like they were basically working for a white man back home um, that was still very prevalent at the time. And my dad was just over it. He was just done. He was like, I'm, yeah. I can't, I can't continue to crop tobacco like this. And so, yeah, um, he had. I want to, I want to stop you right there, only because yeah. I just don't want that point missed. That you're, you're young. You're 32. Your yeah. father, yeah. like, was part of the Great Migration. Yeah, was a tobacco cropper. I mean, obviously getting not a slave, but getting paid minimal. I mean, no, yeah. And so it's like, we cannot miss that fact. I think so many yeah. white Americans think, oh, slavery is so long ago. Like, what does it have to do with now? Well, that, but like, stop yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah. That and people don't understand, um, like labor and what socioeconomic status, um, was like at the time and right. continues to be like. And so, um, I'm always, yeah, now I emphasize that with people, you know, yeah, it's my dad. It's my dad. That was part yeah. of the last leg of the great migration. And yeah, so my him and my mom um, lived in uh, D.C., well, near D.C. for okay. a long time. Moved back down here in 93. So how old were you when you moved back down? Five, five moving back down south. Okay, so if, and I do want to preface, if I ask you anything I am learning that is inappropriate or not phrased right, right. you just stop me. Be so honest, yeah. and, or if you don't want to talk about something. Like yeah. I, I've listened to your podcast. I know you're pretty blunt and tell it how it is. So you just do that with me. Okay. Don't be afraid to, um, okay. So move down there when you were five. Do you remember, like, did you grow up prior to that with all white people around you? Like, do you remember? Oh, like, nah, okay. I don't remember all that. Like, okay. people ask me something like that and I'm like, nah, I mean, you're like, yeah. so I can, okay. like, your brain is still developing and you're trying to figure out just how to be a kid too. Sure. Know, living, but no, um, no, we, we moved back down to North Carolina and, um, my, a lot of my mom's family is down here. A lot of my dad's family is too, but, um, both my parents, a lot of their family also is up North because, um, of the number of black people who left the South, yeah. um, back in the day anyway. So, but yeah, we moved back down here and lived next door to my grandma, my mom's mom, who has, who passed away two years ago and. Okay. Um, her dad passed away last year, um, right before Thanksgiving. And so we moved back though and lived right next door to them and right next door to one of my aunts and across the street was like another aunt and down the road were cousins. And yeah, it's a very, uh, black community, black culture okay. as where that I grew up, um, okay. in proximity to okay. family. So you grew up in predominantly black space. So do you, were you aware of like racism? I guess, when were you first aware? Like, you know what, yeah. I'm, I'm not in the dominant there, culture. I don't think there's really a time for black. I mean, I can't speak for all black people. Yeah. You just learn stuff. Yeah. You just figure stuff out. Um, my parents, like I grew up, so like the schools that I went to growing up were very mixed, like black and white. Um, yeah black, white, and then um, in high school, started to see more of a um, Latinx community, like students coming yeah. to our high school and stuff like that, you know, things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's always been very diverse. I will use that word here, diverse, because yeah. schools tend to want to use that word as well. Yeah. Um, instead of inclusivity, that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, you know, it's just very diverse schools and things like that. Um, but as far as, yeah, I mean, I didn't grow up with like my parents being like, oh, well, 
only hang out with black people. No, but like my family, my family, um, you know, black cousins, black brother, black parents, you know, we, black culture is, is black culture. And so yeah. it's, um, you can go back home to that. Yeah. Um, and in the world, it's uh, learning how to maneuver and navigate and all these things. But, you know, I mean, I had white friends growing up, had black friends growing up. Yeah. Um, my parents didn't just sit me down all the time and talk about racism. Right. Like they weren't like, oh, let's, this is what's going to happen. But right. they also did in a way. It wasn't like there's, I, I feel like sometimes white people think that black people just sit and have this scripted conversation every day with their children about here's this and here's that. But that's not what it is because racism is systemic and institutional. And so um, we're just, we're thrown into it and it, yeah. um, it shows up whenever it wants to all, right. all the time. And I did experience a lot of microaggressions growing up. I didn't know they were microaggressions because we don't, like, we just don't walk around with this handbook, right, of knowing right. what things are. And if, you know, if, if, if anybody listening doesn't know that term, go look it up. I'm not going to make you explain it. Yeah. That's a term you should know. So look it up. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I got a lot of that growing up. People would be like, oh, like you don't talk like a black person. Mm-hmm. Things like that, that I internalized that um, affected my, like who I was as a person and my self-identity. Anyone hearing things like that, you're trying to figure out how, okay, then how am I supposed to be? And at the same time, you know, being inundated with these images of like, oh, straight hair is pretty. Just all kinds of things. Yeah. You know, I, I look back now and I'm like, wow. I, like, wow. Like, <laughs> but I was, ne- but I was always, I was very timid. Not timid. Okay. I was like very like outspoken with like my cousins and stuff like that, but um, I wasn't like a very like outspoken, speak my mind kind of child. Right. Yeah. You right. Not who you're, I am. You're making up for <laughs> it. <laughs> when a good yeah, really you're speaking that. truth. Um, so tell me with that, I know just again from listening to you on another podcast, the role of the church and faith in your life growing up. Because I know your dad was a pastor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so talk my about dad, that a little bit. Yeah. My dad, um, my dad was ordained as a um, pastor in 1992. Um, so he was actually like, you know, he was called to preach from God. Um, my dad has always exuded that. I grew up in a home where my parents uh, did not sit me down every day and they're like, oh, you have to read your Bible every day and you can't talk to these people because they're not good enough. Nope, never. I did not grow up with that kind of stuff. I grew up um, learning what justice really was um and jesus was radical um with black culture and black church growing up in the southern black baptist church it's very much finding the lesson and the moral to apply to your life with scripture okay and always finding hope and like every um sermon right at church growing up was always like hope and faith and perseverance and just mm-hmm. it was just very much that and the reason is because this is what we've always had to hold on to. Uh, and I'm not saying that every black person in America is a spiritual person and goes to church. I'm not saying that. But um, you have to think in, whenever we were enslaved, this was, we didn't have anything else to hold on to while we were being brutalized yeah. and dehumanized and tortured and murdered and being subjected less than animals. So we had to find something to hold on to. Right. And so, you know, that gets passed down through, through generations and finding that strength through God. And so that's what I grew up with. 
I grew up seeing that you can call some, like you, you, you can call out the wrong in the world and still get blessings from God. You can call out the wrong in the world. You can call out the racism. You can stand up for people. You can speak the truth and you can do it all because this is what we're supposed to do um, on this earth. Which and I think so, contrasts with white evangelical culture oh, of like, gosh, you yeah. get, I mean, your head bit off if you're going to call out racism mm-hmm. or injustice. I mean, yeah. So I really see the contrast. And so that's yeah. what I was curious with your growing up, because I know you are a believer and mm-hmm. have a fit, strong faith. So just curious how that played out with your life. Yeah, it's, um, and it was a shock for me, even encountering white evangelicals, to be honest with you, because... I was just like, are we reading the same thing? Um, like, <laughs> like I just don't, I honestly, um, and even, and I'll be very honest with you, I grew up in a home where like, my mom, you know, she's a, she's a pastor's wife. She doesn't go to church every Sunday. My, my dad never had his own church. He didn't want his own church. Um, he wanted to do the work. Um, without having to deal with all the other stuff, mm-hmm. the politics of things. And so, yeah, I just grew up seeing, like, there's not, you know, like, there's a difference between Christianity and religion, the difference in that. And that's what I think people get confused about. And they want to take the Bible and weaponize it the same way that white people have always weaponized whiteness. And they took the Bible in history to accommodate their whiteness and their white supremacy. Yes. I mean, think about it like that, right? You're like, yes. oh, wow. But and it's ha- Oh, absolutely. I'm curious, how, how have you come to terms as a believer, strong faith, with the Bible being used so strongly as a weapon to justify slavery, to justify the mistreatment of blacks? I mean, to have the slave di- or slave Bible. A separate- so I've always wondered that, how black people that are believers come, have wrestled or come to terms with that. Yeah, um, for me personally, it's just because I'm like, there's no way that the God that has brought me through what I've been through and what I've seen would ever co-sign any of that. And I also understand that God is not this kumbaya, get along and love and that's it. God destroyed nations, right? God put Pharaoh where he put Pharaoh. Um, He did that on purpose too, because if there was no Pharaoh, there'd be no promised land. That's right. and he so, sent yeah, the plagues. He sent the plagues and sent Moses yeah, in there. I get yes. all of that, right? Yeah. yeah. He did these things um, in the name, and that's and that's the justice, right? And whenever I think about Jesus and, then, you know, what I learned about Jesus, if people really understand these stories, whenever Jesus drank from the woman um, who he shouldn't have drank after, right, uh, that would have been like someone today or someone in 1920 a white person drinking out of a water fountain with a black. Uh, yeah. And people don't connect this stuff. You're right, Letty. They yeah. just don't. And so I'm like, so when you think about Jesus, you have to understand that um, Jesus, and I was actually just talking to someone about this, whenever people say all lives matter, Jesus said that um, <laughs> thieves' lives matter, right? Um, Jesus always said that different people's lives mattered. He makes these yeah. distinctions throughout the New Testament yeah. or in his life. And whenever people want to take the Bible and cherry pick it and pick what they want out of it, you have to ask yourself too, like, what are you so afraid of? What are you so afraid of? Like, are you that afraid? And so then it's also like, you don't what you think you believe. You, you believe what you think that you want to believe. 
Um, you right. don't really take time to be moved. Like whenever you have a relationship with God, like I have a relationship with God. I have had a year of obedience and seeing what that really means. Um, where God, I really do let him use me. You never doesn't look right to other people. And so when you have a relationship with God, you can't do those things. That's right. There's That's no right. way. There's That's no right. way. <laughs> That's right. And with you, with you talking about, like, I just, I don't know why I haven't really got this correlation before. I'm sure you have, but with you talking about the Bible and white people picking and choosing and, um, you know, using it to justify slavery, that leads us into history of America because we do the same thing. White mm -hmm. people, I feel like, have done the same thing with American history that they do with the Bible. Yes. And um, we pick and choose the feel-good stories and the narrative that we want to tell. Mm -hmm. And that leads into your passion. You have a passion for Jesus and for true history. So yes. tell me about how that developed, because I know you didn't love history like in high school and all that. So tell me what led you down that road and where, because you have a master's in history of two masters, but one in history. So tell me about that, your passion for history. Yeah, I didn't like it growing up like that. I actually loved English classes growing up. Um, <laughs> hated math, still hate math. Cannot do it <laughs> in my life. Um, but yeah, I um, in I, I remember in high school, my senior year, I had the same teacher for a psychology class and for American history too. And I remember starting to kind of see, because he was more of a, he was a very progressive teacher. Okay. So I started kind of seeing a little bit about the history that I thought that I could like. But it's because we, we hear the same seven things. Uh-huh. Civil War and Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, American Revolution. Here's some random, like, white women suffrage that's not yep. true stuff. Um, <laughs> and yep. that's, like, what else do you, like, what else do we learn, right? And it's right. also... In school, you're not teaching, you're, you're teaching dates and times. That's what There's I was going to say. Memorize these dates, people. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Boring, like, boring. Yes. Right, right. Like you aren't learning concepts. You aren't learning how to connect the history and the bigger picture. And so I got to, I went to a community college for two years and my teacher there, I'll never forget him. I fell in love with history then because um, I took American history one and two with him in college and he never used a book. He knew everything out of his head. And it was just fascinating. There were no PowerPoints in class. Nothing was just him talking. You had to take notes the whole time. And you had to pass the test. And his tests yeah. were written tests. You just yeah. had a question and you wrote everything during the test. So this is me, 18 years old, in college. Like, what? And, but I love yeah. school. I love yeah. school. Yeah. Kind of school now. But I do love school. <laughs> I'm sure you are, girl. <laughs> well, I mean... You sharing that, like, I just got chills because that is my, my daughter's, ex like, what a difference an amazing history teacher can make, because that's my daughter that just graduated. She hated history, and then the last two years has had an amazing history teacher, same thing, doesn't use books. He tells, I mean, that's the only reason I know about the Tulsa race massacre, because he yeah. taught this girl. I mean, it is that hit, that one teacher, and he listens to my podcast, so, and he's been listening <laughs> to yours, too, because I was like, hey, and it, so, but that one teacher has changed my daughter's passion, and the love for history means the love for justice and people and all of that, so yeah. it's just two examples right there of why we need to be teaching real history and what a difference good teachers can make, so you love fell in love with history because of this teacher and yeah. Tell, yeah I'll let you take over yeah he um 
he introduced me to that and it kind of like awakened something and you know a little bit in me and then I went to UNCW which is University of North Carolina at Wilmington um I went there after I was done with my two-year degree at the community college and I went to UNCW and I was like okay but I wanted to do education and I was like nope I want to do this I took like some education classes one semester and I was like this is way too boxed in for me um I'm I'm, ha I'm having to learn too many things right now that I don't want to have to deal with because I don't want to teach in a public school. Um, that's just not my passion at all. Yeah. First of all, I can't. I mean, I would be like, my lesson plans would be ripped up because I'd be like, why can't I talk about this? Why can't I talk about this? Like all mm -hmm. these history things, right? And, yep. it's, um, and so I had, um, I had a professor and I will name him in this podcast if that's okay with Absolutely. Um, Dr. Gwen Harris at UNCW and I met him in 2009 um my second year at UNCW and he just blew me away not only him but just other history history professors in like the program um get my BA in history because they just they were true historians right like they were just they just knew so just a wealth of knowledge so I'm taking yeah classes about the new south and african-american culture and history and um film and video and all these classes and at the same time i was minoring in political science and i was like okay this is a good match and dr harris though also introduced me to james baldwin okay and james baldwin changed my entire life um it sounds strange because James Baldwin passed away in 1987, but he mentored me throughout mm. the end of my undergrad career and my master's in history. Um, Tell me why. Um, I know that's a long, but I think that's important yeah. to touch on for people that don't know James Baldwin, another person to look up and learn about. So yeah. I know a little bit about him, but tell me specifically why he just changed your life. Yeah, so James Baldwin's writings, um, just, uh, it's just his eloquence. He was, he was soft but fierce, mm. and his words just were like, wow. He made me just realize a lot about Black identity and who I am, and at the same time with him, um, I'm also learning through Dr. Harris uh, just how to be firm, right? How to, like, stand up and speak up. Finding um, your voice, yeah. Yeah, and I've definitely had other history professors. Um, Dr. Chris Fonbel, another history professor at UNCW, was also extremely, um, had a huge part in who I am today. And uh, I know I'm name dropping a lot, but it's because That's they're fine. so important. Like they're, yeah. they really, yeah. Um, in grad school, Dr. Catherine, so both of them, Dr. Harris and Dr. Fonbel as well in grad school, but definitely Dr. Harris. I was with him. He was like my mentor throughout grad school. Like he didn't want me to get away with anything. And Dr. Kathleen Berkeley. Um, but the three of them just really, and the whole, the whole program, but they just didn't let you do anything. Like you had to argue against them. You knew everything and defend yourself and learn how to speak and how to be ready. And Dr. Harris made me learn as a black woman that you're gonna always have to be ready times 12. Mm. Always have to be ready always 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 and i already grew up black in america so i already learned through my parents why it's important to assert myself you know right. if if my mother 
went to like we went to jc penny and she had her credit card and she went to apply for another one if they were like well we got to run your credit score because we're just not sure mm-hmm. people would say like oh that's just normal and i'm like yeah but it's not yeah it's not with the tone that we get and so i saw my mother never backing down from people ever yeah. Um, yeah. and so all of this went along with me being in graduate school and James Baldwin, to get back to him, just really helped me read more history. And I mean, I'm at the same time I'm reading Stokely Carmichael and Mark, you know, Marcus Garvey, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, Sada Shakur. Just I had to learn all of the American history. It is yeah. fa- like it is unbelievable. Like just over the last year of working teaching my 17 year old, like and digging in on my own, even before this last month, it's like there is a whole other U.S. history we just don't know about that's just yeah. amazing. It um, is so extensive. It's so complex as well because everything connects. And I think that's one thing whenever people tell me like, oh, well, I also love history. And I'm like, but it's very different to love history and to literally be a historian like I am. And I don't say that to toot my own horn and, or to brag, Mm-mm. but I mean that because it's, um, I love like cooking I'm not a chef like I'm not I don't I don't know how to on top of my head do all these things but I um with you know being a historian um just for example like if you can't connect like President McKinley and Booker T Washington to the bigger picture of convict leasing and mass incarceration then what are you doing? Because right. that's, that's what I do. People are like, what are you talking about? But right. you know, to me, it's just, it just comes so easily to me um, because I've, I've just had to do it all. Like, right. I just had to learn how to do the work and getting my master's in history also just taught me about discipline and just taught me the importance of speaking up and what it means to like defend yourself and what it means to stand firm and what it means to find the accuracy and to not give up until you do. Um, and then there's the whole craft of the being a historian and the academia of it. But um, so yeah. at, at what point in that, because you now are, yes, a historian, but of, you are a huge teacher of anti-racism work and helping people in this journey. So at what point did that click with you that like, this is my passion too of this work and I want to change people and teach people. Um, was there some, an event or just did it go along with learning history? Yeah, it kind of went along with learning it. Um, whenever I was getting my MA in history, I was a, um, a graduate assistant. So I also helped teach some history courses at okay. the college. And I love doing that. I love seeing the spark. Um, yeah. But also while I was getting my master's in history, what really ignited me, because I started that the Janu- January of 2012, but that year Trayvon Martin was killed. Mm. And so I'm starting my master's in history. I'm starting this, this new journey in really becoming the black woman that I am. Um, or at that part, learning the black woman that I'm becoming and learning all this black history and, and you know, all this yeah. history and boom, this huge movement starts in our country. Black Lives Matter. And I'm watching as Trayvon Martin is murdered and Eric Gardner and just so many and it just at the same time I'm also reading things happening in history before in black history and I'm like this is the same stuff yeah it's the yeah. same thing and so I'm literally learning parallel and learning how to navigate all of this and I'm like wow and so Baldwin 
um, help me with that. Um, because everything that he says, and if people listening, if you've never read James Bond, read the fire next time, read the fire next time, read the devil finds work. Um, is that really? a good, I have not, I know James Baldwin, Baldwin and read bio stuff. I've not yeah. read works. So I'll say that. So the fire next time is a good one to start yeah. with. Yeah. That's okay. my quintessential. And then also it's helpful to just listen to Baldwin. Mm-hmm. You can go online. You can Google his interview with our, his appearance on the Dick Cabet show. Yes. You can read um, the American dream and the American Negro. He also read yeah. a lot of essays. right? Yes. He and I have read, that. there's a, the American Negro is a great one. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, That's uh-huh. like the number one for people I tell uh-huh. them. Exactly. <laughs> start with that one. If you've not read anything, that is a good one to start with. So going back to, I'm just, um, so Black Lives Matter, that was your awakening, the Trevor Martin, Black Lives Matter. So Black Lives Matter, was that 2013 when that? Yeah. So like okay. that. Yeah, that's where like the whole movement. Okay, so history repeating itself. Let's let's look fast forward seven years to where we're at now, and what are how are you making? I don't know. I don't know where to go with this, Liddy. How are you making sense of this? Because I feel like here we are again, just like yeah. you felt in 2013 with the past history. Are you? How are you wrestling with this? Are you more hopeful? I don't know. Talk a little bit, Liddy, what you feel like compelled to share with where we're at right now and what you're yeah. seeing and feeling. I'm glad that, I'm glad that you asked that. Um, I'm honestly like, yeah, well, here we go again. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that to be very nonchalant at all because there's a heaviness that comes with this. There is a different feeling whenever you continuously watch people who look like you being murdered because of the skin, like the color of our skin, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think about all of these stereotypes, right? Like, oh, Trayvon Martin was threatening. He's walking around outside with a hoodie on. He was a child, right? Um, Tamir Rice was 12. He has to play like a toy gun. How many kids have those, right? Like I had Nerf guns growing up. I had water guns. And so it's like, what are you so, I mean, and I know I said this before, talking about Christianity and the Bible, but that's why what are white people afraid of? I know the answer to that, but that's what people need to reckon with that, right? People need to wrestle with that because there's depth to that question. And right now I'm honestly like, wow, because, and I think too, what I've noticed as of late is white people are shocked that, oh, oh, this is happening. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, yeah, but why, why didn't you care? Never Philando Castile was bleeding out in his car in front of his kid. Like, why, why didn't you care? And if you watch Alton Sterling being killed, so, so what, what is so different for y'all about George Floyd, about Ahmaud Arbery? I'm going to get to Ahmaud Arbery actually in just a second, because I have yeah. something to say about that. But I'm just like, so at what point is it enough for y'all I know. to actually care about our humanity? Because if it takes watching us die for eight minutes and 46 seconds for you to care about our humanity as black people, you didn't care about it from the beginning. Oh, I um, Eric Garner was choked out. I watched, I watched the video in, in 2014. What? So that, that wasn't enough for y'all. And what do you think? Like, that's what I've had a lot of conversations with my 17 year old because, mm-hmm. you know, she's her, she's actually been on this journey longer than I have. I'm, I feel, I'm <laughs> sorry to say like the last couple of years, I've probably the last year. And I know as a white person, I have some feelings with white people of like, Oh, now you decide. So I can't even imagine what being a black woman you feel like. So you want to have hope, 
why do you, but why do you think there is like right now, this, is it because of social media? Like why are people carrying all this? Like, I don't know. Yeah. So I think, um, so <laughs> this is interesting. This is an interesting question because it goes back for, I'm going to go back for a second as to why I got my second master's degree. Mm-hmm. My second one is in conflict management and resolution. And I didn't understand two years ago why I was choosing to get in more student loan debt to do this, right? At the same time, I was working in a corporate job that I did not like. I was teaching part-time history class um, at a community college, and I had to let all that go. God was like, you need to stop that. I have always been able to do all that I wanted to do in, in my life, always, just anything I wanted to do. I put my mind to I could do it, but, you know, I was married. You know, I still am married, but I was newly married and God's bringing me you know, through all these things. And I was like, why do I want, why am I being called to get another degree in conflict management? Like that is not even like, okay. Yeah. Um, but I knew that I needed to do more. And so I went with it. You know, I, I, I followed that. I was obedient with that. And I see why, because people don't even understand how our brains work whenever it comes to this kind of stuff and why we react how we react so my conflict management master's degree wasn't just learning oh how to be a mediator it was that physical tangible stuff yes i have training on that after you know i'm certified for um like to to be a mediator and all these things but at the same time i'm learning how our nervous system works how our brain works how trauma um affects us um ways or why we act to certain things the way that we do this second master's degree was kind of like therapy for myself okay yeah. so, you know i was unpacking my own trauma with like some childhood things um because you know whenever we think of the word trauma we think of like a car accident a sexual assault something like that we don't think about trauma being something we've all experienced trauma can be you not getting the attention that you needed as a child right. you not having that emotional need that you need as a kid and so what about the, the the reason for me saying that is right now with coronavirus we've all been traumatized to to an yeah. extent um and so we're going to react different ways and i know for me it was definitely a roller coaster with coronavirus because it's it's the unknown it's the you don't have um, the ability to move out freely like you want to. And that, as human beings, that puts us on edge off the jump. Automatically, we're like, oh, no, what's going on? Let's panic. And so I feel like right now people have more time, perhaps, to see what's happening. But I'm also going to say that People, I noticed people were getting a little bit more awakened whenever Ahmaud Arbery's story finally came to the surface. Right. And I feel like, I'm going to probably step on some toes, people listening to this, but okay. um, I feel like I, whenever I saw that, um, I, did, I, I did not watch the video. I didn't watch what happened to him. I did see some picture stills, which I don't didn't want to see either, because there was something different about reading about Ahmaud Arbery for me. Before it became huge on social media, uh, that previous week, this, this story came out, and it was like 1 a.m., and I was awake, and I read about it, and my heart sank. And the reason is because I was reading about what, what happened to him and how he was hunted down, and all I could think about was history and how black men were hunted down and lynched. That's exactly what happened. How black women were hunted down and lynched. How black children were hunted down and lynched. And 
I was just like, what is it just something, it was something different for me. Not because of coronavirus, because that's, that's the thing. Black people, coronavirus and learning about the deaths and the murders of Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and so many others, this is what we've been telling y'all. Right, before right. Before the right. virus was here. So, right. um, and then also though with Ahmaud Arbery, you know, as things unfolded and people were like, oh my gosh, you know, these three men and they they murdered him. And for me, I was like, it's because you all see them as just three men who are white supremacists. You don't, you don't see the cops like that. Right. You should. And you thought that at the time. Yes. Off the top, my, yeah. I, I was like, oh, all right. And so then I'm, 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 I'm also, you know, telling my husband, I'm like, okay, if they were three white men that were dressed in cop uniforms, they, I, I'm willing to bet it would not have been the kind of outpour that there was. But because people put this, this image, right, of just these three white men who are racist and they're white supremacists and they hunted this black man down and they murdered him, that is wrong. Right. But it's That's not wrong for you to be see a cop doing it. And so for me, that's been my big thing with people because Amont Aubrey pissed me the hell off and hurt me so much. Um, I was like sick to my stomach. I was sick to my stomach for like a week. I had a heaviness in my, in my chest. I just, because I, I have a brother. I have a brother. He's, yeah. he's going to be 29 next week. Yeah. And what if, what if he wanted to go running? So what can we do? And you knowing history. Um, And I know some people, I know some people, probably not people that listen to you, but Mm -hmm. some white folks have a hard time with like, it's a modern day lynching. They're like, Mm -hmm. why, why are you using that term? Mm -hmm. So, and I know you have a whole podcast and we'll talk about that too on lynchings and the history of those. Like, tell me why you correlate this the same as a lynching. And if you want to tell, I mean, like I said, there's a lot I want to get into today and we just might not have time, but this is important. I think talking about what's going on, current events, black men being lynched still. So if you want to talk about just a little what's on your heart as far as history of lynchings, I don't think we have not been taught at all. This the yeah. horrific, horrific nature of them. Um, yeah. So go on and just the correlation, Letty. This is, I know this is hard. And if there's anything you don't want to talk about, it's okay. Yeah. No, you're, you're, I'm good. I'm thankful I have the strength and the stamina to, to do this. I don't, I honestly don't know sometimes how I do it. Um, I but it's a strength from God, I'm telling you. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, I feel like people associate lynchings with um, a physical body hanging from a pole or a tree or something like that. That is a lynching. But people need to understand that lynchings are also racial terror Mm -hmm. and um things like this the reason why they're called lynchings as racial terror is because they are meant to terrorize the black community and they always have been that's always been the reason um lynchings in this country um 1892 was one of the biggest years for lynchings in this country and there's no coincidence that's whenever black mobility was heightened right um black wealth um and, and then you just go you can have a whole talk about this a whole thing about this. i know letty that's why you have a yeah. podcast that you yes, guys deep yes, into this so we're a, touching on things today but yes, yeah so go ahead and, the 1892 yeah yeah and that's why 
Ahmaud Arbery and happened to him was a modern day lynching. They hunted him down. They, um, this, this was strategic. This was planned. This was purposely done. Um, and I cannot imagine the fear he felt, I, I can't imagine in all, I, cause I read also part of what history is, is, you know, people are probably like, oh, you know, there are tons of books about, you know, different things like, yeah, because we do primary source research. So we have to go dig and find um, narratives, find where people wrote um, what happened or what happened. That's what we do, right? Okay. That's the history that tells the story. And I just, Ahmaud Arbery, um, I just like that was a lynch mob, period. It was a state state sanctioned lynching. It absolutely was. Because and because then you just have these men just hanging out at home after that. So you mean to tell me that you can go out here, murder a black young man, and go home and eat your dinner that night? Yeah. What? Yeah. And so for me with people, I'm like, what part of that is not okay? Like, so do all y'all just co-sign this? Like. Um, when is it going to be enough for you all to, to see the need for justice? Um, when are y'all going to stop saying, but, oh, well, right. maybe he was doing, no, stop. Cause if it was your kid, if it was your kid. Yeah. You wouldn't want to hear anything about a but. That's right. At all. That's right. Period. And so for white people in America, um, there's the, enormous privilege not have to worry about this but there is there is and I'm so I'm embarrassed that I I didn't care in 2013 why didn't I care like did I not see it but I I had the privilege of that's not my world you know right right well I think uh, that thing is also we had a black president and so people can connotate like oh see we have a black president so absolutely it's like no it's not no it's not no it's not um absolutely um, I would have probably fall into that like okay we got a black guy in charge yes absolutely you're right and that doesn't excuse like that doesn't negate from the fact that white supremacy culture is still what upholds America and that racism is still more prevalent than it's always been been more prevalent than air than ever there's never been a time when racism hasn't been here it's just that we have and ta-nehisi coates said this in his book between the world and me it's the cameras that are new it's the cameras that are new i think that's it letty yes it is and and i know that's hard and hurtful to black people because it's like did you not believe us before and i guess i'm guilty because it is the cameras and seeing it but again the white privilege of well maybe i believed you but it just didn't matter it didn't hit my heart or you know like my soul like just seeing it and i think that's what's happening with like george floyd um absolutely people want and i did not share and for people who are listening sharing the video of black people dying is not helpful I'm glad you said that. Yes. Yeah, it's, it, it's not. And people will say, oh, but Emmett Till's mother um, had his body on display. And yes, you're absolutely right. She did. But people only know that part of the story. There's a book called The Blood of Emmett Till by Timothy Tyson. One of the hardest books I've read in a long time. I bawled my eyes out after. I don't cry over like romantic movies and things. I cry over history. And they talk in the book. He he does extensive research. Extensive. It's it's amazing. He he had three research teams across the country doing research for him for this book. It's incredible. And I don't mean incredible as in like, oh, it's a great story. No, he tells what happened to Emmett Till, but 
He also goes into why his mother chose to do it that way. She didn't want to. She actually didn't want to. No. I did not know yes, this part of the story. She did not want to. Mm-mm. She okay. didn't want to at first. And then, and then she decided to, though. Because okay. what people don't understand is that there's always a bigger movement behind the scenes in history every time. Because sure. Emmett Till didn't happen out of isolation. Emmett Till, his, his murder happened in 1955. Brown v. Board was passed the, the, the year before. Mm-hmm. White people are so afraid and so angry at Black people going to school with your pure white children they were so angry that they wanted to make an example of Emmett Till. Because if you understand what's happening politically in, in Mississippi at the time, you're going to be like, wow. And then you see the small townness of it, how the sheriff was in on it, how the family, the like, it's a whole. Oh, it's, it's deep. And again, this goes back why real history is important. Yes. And yeah. I, I did not know the depth of this one. I've heard of that book, have not read it. So I'm going to add that one to my list, Letty. But oh, yeah. um, it is a worthwhile read for sure. But just another example of history, the how darn deep it is to the roots in this country and one and, event right. is affecting another. And um, that's why I want people to understand with George Floyd and, you know, the most recent things that are happening, like, um, we've, we've been screaming about this. This is not a fight that's been, that, that has just birthed. And I didn't come out of my mom's womb being woke. I did not. That did not happen. I, that just didn't happen. But also you have to understand that um, social media has come leaps and bounds so far since I was an undergrad, right? I, I had a little flip phone texting, having to press the number seven 12 times to get a letter, right? Like we just, <laughs> it's come so far. And yeah. so whenever people look at what's happening right now, you know, with protests and people are like, oh, well, rioting should happen, looting should happen. When have riots, when have we ever in this country done anything peacefully, white people? And this is to like black people, right? I'm like, y'all found in the country on, on looting. People are like, oh, the Boston Tea Party. It was a whole riot. It was a whole stealing from, like, founded on that. Right? Absolutely. And oh, my gosh. It drives me nuts when people are like, wait, this is not America. Yes, it is. And there are people right. saying, this is not the America that I know. Yeah, it's America that we know. It's America that's always been, you've just chosen to be consciously ignorant. That's right. That's right. And so that when, when I've said this before, the make America great again, that's why that doesn't, that doesn't work. What part of America? Oh, our country used to be great. And I've asked them, I'm like, what, what um, year? And they're like, oh, well, after World War II, wrong. My parents couldn't vote. Next, next question. Like, come on. There's not a period. And that's the discussion you need to be having in your house and taking a deeper look at with your kids, with your spouse, because you are living a very, narrow, not true, real history life, if you're thinking that this country has always been great. I know you're still dubious and just like, yeah, it's happening again, but do you have a different level of hope this time? I mean, this seems a little different to me, Letty, but I don't know. You, you've been in this journey a lot longer, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like now, I'm going to be honest with you, um, there are more people, right, who want to do something. Yeah. I've noticed on my Instagram that has grown exponentially. Oh my gosh. I've watched you, Marcy, Maisha. I'm like, holy cow. You go, ladies. Yes. Yeah. It is great. And I believe sometimes, and I'm going to say this on, on your podcast because, because it just needs needs to be said. I I know that it like white people can get confused because they're like, okay, well we shouldn't ask white people and we shouldn't ask them. And so what do I do? And whenever I say, don't expect us to educate you. Don't expect to come into our inbox and type out your life story about how 
you didn't know and all this stuff and oh my gosh and what do you need to do and how should I go about this don't don't ask us that question right like don't I have never had the privilege to ask a white person how do I go into this store and not look suspicious just because I'm black Right. Like how, how do I wake up every day and know how many microaggressions I'm going to deal with? How, how, how do I do that? Like, right. we don't right. have a handbook for this shit. Like we, we just yeah. don't. And so it just, it's, it, um, but I wanted to say that that does not mean that you do not need to come to us to be a resource in for you to be educated That's right. in this work. We need to be, listening to black voices and i'm going to put an aside in here i'm not going to say all black voices because they were the candace owens of the world and do not listen to candace owens because that's a podcast in itself letty don't get me oh my gosh yeah you know so you know there are the there are the candace owens of the world and Mm -hmm. and other people who think similar to her so you have to understand that you know anti-racism educators like myself and and i'm a historian like i truly am doing this work because I want people to do better. Like I have been convicted. Like I, God has convicted me to do this. Sometimes I wish that I like math and I wouldn't be like a fiscal programmer. Sure I do. <laughs> but, but way like, less emotional, I know. Yes. Right. But I do feel like people are trying to do better. I honestly do. People are trying to just, because on a basic human level, if you go to a, a new job tomorrow, you can get, like you can go through a week long training but you're still going to be like, okay, hands-on is still going to be different, right? Yeah. And it's going to be yeah. an adjustment period. And so I believe that white people need to understand that, yes, it's great. And you're wanting to do more and it's great, it's great, it's great. But it's not an opportunity for you to have to put your white guilt on display. Because listen, Absolutely. we've already been doing this. I've been screaming about this stuff for a long time I now. know. I know, Letty. I can't even imagine how you feel. Again, as somebody that's only yeah. been doing a little bit for a year, I'm like, oh my gosh. But it's, but it's nothing to be ashamed of, right? Like, you as a white woman, it's nothing, for, it's nothing to be ashamed of for you to admit, like, I have not been doing this and I need to do better. Because yeah. on a basic person, like, human being level, that's like a first step in anything is admitting, I need to be better at this. You're right. really, I really need to. And speaking that and affirming that with yourself is, the, is a very big for it's the foundational step because if your heart isn't changed then you you can't honestly do this anti-racism work and it's also important for people to know like just remember that being an anti-racist is not just a destination it's it's a journey it's a lifelong process right because dismantling racism is dismantling structures and institutions dismantling white supremacy is dismantling structures and institutions that govern our entire country everything and so i do feel hopeful i am very glad that people have found my instagram i'm glad they've been listening to podcasts i know me and myisha and louisa did a podcast about like toxic white womanhood and you know that gained a lot of momentum and people found me through that and just you know and that's i, I think how i found i found you after interviewing myisha and then yeah. listening to some of her podcasts and then i did the class with the three of you yes. uh, which and which was incredible and so eye-opening for me and that goes back to this as a journey because 
as much as I've been trying to educate myself the last year, I learned so many new things from that podcast or that class that you all taught. All part of it. Yeah, that's that's all part of it. And so, yeah, I'm I'm really glad people are wanting to do things. I am, but I am going to say, yeah, it is. And I do want to make sure at the very end, I can't even believe, Letty, we're going on end of time, but I want to make sure, there's a couple of things I want to ask you. We're gonna we're not even going to be able to get into the women voting, yeah. doggone it. But we will at the end, I want to talk about your Patreon, your podcast, the classes. We'll make sure people know where to go for all of that. But going back to your hopeful, this is a journey. So two things with that, that I, I'm a little bit seeing with white friends and people, white fragility playing out big. And that's frustrating me. So I'm sure I can't even imagine how you feel. They're okay to bite off a little bit, but whoa, like I shared your podcast, the one on white privilege that I thought was incredible. So good. And I had white friends that were like, I'm not listening to that. I'm like, what? Like I re-listened to it. Cause I was like, wait, what, what was so hurtful about that? And my daughter reminded me, mom, you've been on this journey a little bit longer. Like some people are just now opening up. So I guess talk about white privilege and how that plays and your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, white people who don't want to listen at all, cause it's like a, it's, it's a immediate defense, like a wall that goes up, like a, I don't have privilege. I've worked for all my things. We're not, I'm not saying you have, that's not what white privilege is. It's the fact that you don't have to worry. Um, You are the norm. You are the ideal image in America. Whenever you think of the word America, right? Everything else is always hyphenated. You don't have European American hyphenated. It's just American. All white people are just American. Right. African American, right? Native yeah, American. Asian American. All of it. Yes. Yes. We're always othered. Um, that's a good point. So that's right. You know, that's part of whiteness. And so you have to understand that if you're going to talk about like, and you know, some of these people are the main ones who are like, but our country is just a big melting pot and everyone should love each other. Okay. You're right. But you also want to say that so you don't have to take any accountability for your ignorance and your bias and your racist beliefs that, that you have. Because yeah. it's yeah. easier to not have to take accountability. So people say that I'm just like, I try to start out with people prefacing things with them. Basic conversation. Like I've learned, I learned a lot from my conflict management degree of how to communicate in situations like this. And so people get defensive. I'm just like, okay, well, first, not trying to make you feel uncomfortable, but this this is what white privilege is, yada, 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 yada. So people still don't want to listen. A lot of people still don't, don't want to listen, but people need to. And right? that's part of white privilege, not listening. Right. Like, you yeah. need to listen. Yeah. Like, I... You just do. And they need to lean into the discomfort. I think that's something. And you guys were, I know, very good in that conversation, you and Maisha. Okay, it's okay to like push pause if you're uncomfortable or Mm -hmm. take a step back. But that doesn't mean just totally ghost it and you're done. Because white fragility is going to come into play. Mm -hmm. You're going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to feel shocked. And you need to know that going into this journey. Yes. But that doesn't yeah. mean you just turn it off because not learning and listening is white privilege. It is. I, yes. Yes. And so talk about a little bit, and this is kind of the last area going into that, because some people, I know I've even been guilty of my uncomfortability. I think that has been more with dealing with white people that, because I feel like I can, I can take it. I can take it. Like, <laughs> bring it on from what, what you black educators are telling me. Right. But I get so uncomfortable with white people that I'm, to have these conversations that they're so like, well, I didn't know slave. You know what I mean? And I just want to be like, well, screw it. I'm done. What is the point of me being in this uncomfortable? But I know it's important to as white people 
Yes. Because you guys get tired of having these deep conversations. So it's right. that is important for white people that are a little farther in the journey to be leaning in and having those. Mm-hmm. But tell me why, when we say it's all important, why? Why is it so important that we are anti-racist? You know, going back to that Angela Davis quote, if we're not, it's not enough, that, that famous Angela Davis quote yes. now, if, it's not yes. enough to be non, non-racist. We have to be anti-racist. So tell me, end it with this, like why this work is so important. Because, I mean, if we expect to see any kind of change, if, if you expect this next generation to be the change in the world, because I know that's going around a lot, and that's been going around a lot, you know, for the last years of changing, like, the future, and we're all in this together, but together really does mean all, and so in order for that to happen, you have to see the importance of having the hard conversations. You have to see the importance of making the mistakes and getting it wrong, but wanting to actually give a damn about other people that you claim that you want to be friends with and care about. Like, so it's just important to see because I'm watching history just keep repeating itself. And, and I will say, um, I forget, I think it was maybe Mark Twain that said this quote, but it's, um, he said that history rhymes. And it was such a good point because no, it doesn't look exactly like it used to look, right? It doesn't look exactly the same. No, we don't necessarily have, we don't have the institution of slavery anymore. Right. Kind of like what right. you were saying. We don't like, have Jim Crow laws. laws. We have a new right. Jim right. Crow like, oh, I didn't yes. own slaves. I'm like, yeah, right. but the money made off the backs of my ancestors completely fed the entire country economically and parts of Europe. So economically, yeah, we did build the country. And no, you may not have owned slaves, but you are benefiting as a white person from the institution of racism and white supremacy in this country, period. You benefit from it. And so when we talk about these things, it's not just about that, because I feel like people will see like, oh, racism, oh oh my gosh, we're talking about that now. Oh gosh, you're calling me a racist. And it's like, okay, but it's important that you don't just jump and do that. It's important that you understand that whenever you look at these pictures of people screaming at five-year-olds in 1955 that are trying to integrate schools in um, Arkansas, Okay, that you understand that those people are still alive. They're still here. Yes. It didn't go anywhere. My parents are still here. Okay. So like, so if there are 18 year olds in um, 1963 yelling racist slurs, they're still alive today. That's That's right. So what are they instilling in their grandchildren? Right? Like, have, how has their heart been changed? Has even been changed? And probably not. I'm going to be honest with you, probably not. Mm-hmm. I've come from a place where I see things. I've seen things growing up. I didn't understand them then, but I understand what was happening now. That's right. And it's just important that people see and understand that, like, it's not enough for you to just post things and just to act like, oh, everyone's talking about it, so let, let me do it too. But what if it was your child? What if it was your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad? What if my dad went, went to a bank today and accidentally, maybe he got a $20 bill that wasn't real and he didn't know from a store and he went to go pay or like he went to the store to like pay and they called the cops on him. Is my right. dad going to be George, George Floyd? Because he very well could be. Right. And that's, that's the reality point blank. In this country, that is the reality. I have my own experiences as a black woman. I've ex- like direct things that I've experienced. And so 
it's just important people to understand that like especially people who identify as christians and i was I just gonna say that go there Letty, because yeah, that's, that's yeah. what goes on my mind like this podcast was created as a faith-based christian yeah. jesus follower and i'm having a little trouble identifying myself as a christian anymore i'm saying jesus follower because of the negative but no yeah like, it, how can you be a jesus follower and not do this work that's so, exactly talk, so and and talking about that lady because i'm gonna be respect, respectful of your time but since we're oh, it's, it's, we're both women of faith you talk talk about that because i think that's the yeah. biggest if anything else yeah i think yeah it's 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 so critical and if if you're going to be here and talk about like how much you love god and god has blessed you and all these things but at what expense though are you saying those things to formulate this idea of god and this idea of justice that just fits your whiteness and how are you going to say that oh well we're supposed to love our neighbor okay well loving your neighbor also means that you stand up for them That's right. right that that you see their humanity um people can take this bible right they 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 take this as as i'm holding mine right they they take this and they want to cherry pick right they want to say oh but remember jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself okay but then you don't see the you don't see what's happening right like you don't see the truth and what god is trying to show us people will say like and i'm going to say this and i hope it's okay if um, it's not okay let it out but i bet it's okay letty go for it <laughs> yeah it, you know people are saying like oh you know god put Trump in like the White House, right? He put him there because he wanted him there. And I'm like, yeah, but God wanted Pharaoh where he was. God wanted Pontipar where he was. Uh, yeah. Where he was. Yeah. Because if it hadn't been for Judas, there would have been no Jesus on the cross, right? Because yeah. the Romans wouldn't have really known. And that's all thing, right? People don't understand the magnitude of world history in the context of the Bible. I don't oh, even true. know, but I do know some of it. And yes. to go against the Roman Empire at the time was, no, you did right. not do that. And so, and I won't even get into that too much, but, but, but the point of me saying all that is God does things to get our attention, period. Yes. And he does them until he gets our attention. And we do have free will. Yes, we do. God gave us that. Um, we have the choice of whether we want to really follow him or not. But what honestly gives me solace is knowing that one day we all have to go stand before him. We do. We have to answer for all the things that we've done. Um, And America as a whole needs to understand that reckonings happen, right? We have to atone for what our country has done. And there are so many things I've seen and read in history that have, and then I see things happening today and I'm like, y'all still haven't, y'all still aren't learning. You still don't see what's really happening you know we were in a whole pandemic we're still in it and people are screaming and crying because and i understand some people's home lives are not safe i i I do understand me preface with with saying i do know some people's um home lives are not the safest places for them to be i do understand that but people out here who are whole privileged okay who have a roof over their head who have food to eat are so screaming and crying about how they can't go out and do certain things, which you prayed for that house that like you have, and now you're not grateful for it. Right. So like, at right. what point do you just admit that what you're doing is performative for to, to, but you have to understand and remember that God, God knows your heart though. 
truly he knows your heart whether you admit it to him or not and so i really want people to understand that justice is biblical jesus was a radical and jesus actually y'all don't even have let him into the country right now but that's another conversation because he ain't a white man but okay um geographically speaking right like he'd he'd be at the border and right now he would have been seen as a crazy person Oh, you're so right. that's what he was that's what they labeled him right like oh he's going against us he's going against what we believe he's out here like performing miracles yeah. so what what do y'all do whenever people talk against 45 occupant of like the white house you do the same thing to people mm-hmm. um so where so where's the difference and what are you really about because the the the, the god that i know the jesus that i know they're both on my side um, That's right. That's right. and I think also, and I, and I know that, that, that we have to end, but I do want to say this last part. I really want people, and I'm not a pastor or any of that, but I just know my life and things that I've, God has given me the wisdom to see that I just want people to understand that like, you can't just say one thing and do one thing on Sundays and go into your little faith-based white supremacy privilege box and think that that's what the world is. Cause it's not. That's right. And for people who are listening, if they haven't read the book, The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. Yes. Read that book. It's so good. And yes, it is. Yeah. I just want people to we'll, we'll link all those up. But I mean, that's one I have read and that is an incredible one too. And so we'll link all those up that you've mentioned. Yeah. And okay, Letty, we still have to talk about your podcast. I want people to know where to find you. Goodness. Okay. <laughs> Letty has a podcast called Sincerely Letty, and it's amazing. And just lean into the discomfort. And if you have to push pause, it's okay. We will link that up. I know you're taking a little break from it till next month, but that gives people a chance to get caught up on past episodes. You also have a website that we'll link up. Tell me the website name, Letty. Yeah, so it's sincerelyletty.com. And I honestly, I'm going to be very honest. I haven't posted a lot on there in the last, like, while but yeah. i'm going to be doing a new website actually okay. before my podcast starts back in july i'm gonna have a okay whole, made a whole new website it's going to be lettyshoemate.com it is okay but yes i want to go ahead and put that out there um but i do have blog posts on my sincerelady.com because you're going to read but i will be doing a whole new website i will have that on my patreon like i'll be putting a blast out about that on my instagram okay. my facebook so people will know whenever it is available okay um but and yeah because like, ask for me so i just was like i know <laughs> so but still i encourage people to go back and read uh, sincerely yeah. letty some of your past blogs because they're still totally applicable. I've read through some of them this past week and there's a lot to learn from those and something new that you've just launched this last month or last few weeks was your Patreon account. So tell us a little bit about that and we'll make sure to put a link up to that because like you said, it's important that we learn from black educators Mm -hmm. and you guys need to make money for this. This is your, this, you have invested your time and life into this and don't just ask you guys for free information. You've right. got it out there. Just like I said with Marcy Walker, she's got her Patreon that's full of, I mean, you guys pour your time into this. So tell us a little bit about your Patreon, what's there and what folks get can learn from that. Yeah. So is patreon.com slash Letty She Made. I know that I, that I can be putting a link, but there okay. are four tiers Five dollars, ten dollars, fifteen, and twenty-five, and I name them all by four of my 
favorite people in history and um, one of which is still living. So tier, um, the first tier and the first level is Stokely and it's named after Stokely Carmichael. It's $5 and you get access to free educational content. You get a reading and resource list. Yeah, all of like the, uh, just like where you can go to get basic information, whatever like you want a reading with. Yeah, just that. And then I have another tier called Shirley and it's named Shirley after Shirley Chisholm. You don't know who she is, or so Carmichael. Google them. That's um, right. it's, yeah, it's like the ten dollar one, and that one is where you get everything that's in the Stokely, but you also get um, a Q and A webinar opportunity. Opportunity the second Sunday of each month, which oh, that's on my on, on my page. But yes. basically, you get like a Q and A webinar opportunity that's just for the tier two people and the James Bond people. I'll get that in a second, and then I have a third one, Angela. For Angela Davis, yes. don't know who she is. Google her. She's still alive. I met her actually like two years Did ago. Did you? Very yeah. cool. It was for like Very a cool. two-minute thing, but it okay. was like the best moment of my life. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's that's fifteen bucks. You get lessons with Letty, which so are so great. good. I'm just gonna interject. Oh, I'm talking what should be in schools, right? I mean, that, I told you, like, I'm doing this with my high school daughter to finish up her graduating the summer sheet. But if you poured a lot into this and this last one on the green book, I mean, it's so, yeah. Well, thank you for that. I mean, it's, it's definitely, I mean, it's worth way more, way more than you're charging to educate yourself with this. So that's what you get for the second level from the top. Yeah. And the yeah. And so like level. You, third level. Yeah. And so you, you get that and you get a webinar at the end of the month where we talk about the lessons. Like you can ask any questions like, yeah. So, and then the fourth tier is James Baldwin because yes. main man. Yes. So you get everything, you get access to everything. But yeah, I have it all laid out very well for people on my Patreon. It's, um, and then I have two posts um, that really go into more detail about yep. everything for people. I'm like a don't leave any room for error kind of person. Yeah, I just honestly want people to understand whenever you are... I, I guess we call it subscribing to us or to me, um, but like supporting me through my Patreon, that's my job. Like this is what I do. And I feel like, you know, it's a more unconventional idea of the nine to five job these days, but it's like, this is what we're doing because yeah. this is the work that needs to be done, but there aren't enough jobs out here that are ready for us to do it. Right. right. So I'm so thankful for Patreon for the platform and know that like, this is truly my job and I don't do it for, self-glorification right i don't i don't do this for self-righteousness this is truly i want people to know that they can go to my patreon you you can message me you know we we talk yes you, yes like, we've, yeah we've, you put we've yourself talked. out there it's not yeah. like here go read this and you're done like this yeah. is a job this is a full-time job for you and more yeah. Um, yeah and i love it i enjoy it so much i'm going to start doing some webinars in the like near future um just to have just more there's more opportunities for more, more people too who aren't part of my Patreon as well. If they want to like pay for a webinar. So yeah, I'm so happy I finally got it up and running. Oh, and the yeah, timing couldn't have been better, Letty. I mean, I, know. <laughs> uh, that, I have to think that was a God thing, but, um, yeah. but going back, that's when we talked about like, you know, it's not enough just be posting on social media. This is part of the journey and the work learning from educators like yourself that are historians that know what they're talking about. So that's part of, the work and not just posting and 
posting a quote and moving on with your life. So that's part of it, Letty. And like I said before, I don't, like I've told my viewers when I talk to Mar or listeners when I talk to Marcy, like I don't have any plans for Patreon myself. I want, if anybody wants to support me, I want them to go, go support you, go support Marcy and other black educators right now. And we will link all of that up because this is important. This is what matters. And if you want to be more than just show and talk, this is, this is what you need to do. Start learning and leaning into it. And Letty, you make us uncomfortable sometimes, but you teach us. And that's what we have to learn and in, lean into. If, it, if we weren't uncomfortable, would we be even be learning anything? No, I don't right. think so. That's what we've right. done all before. And that's what I want people to remember is like, yeah, you're going to be uncomfortable, but I truly do want people to learn from it. Like yeah. we're all uncomfortable with, with like anything that we're trying to do first. Like we're all, anything you do in life, you're going to be uncomfortable with definitely with this because it's like, it's what you've been so accustomed to. Um, and so I want people to, to remember that. Yeah. I just want people to learn and to do better and to know that it's not a race. It's, it's not a competition. It's nothing to be ashamed of for you to say, wow, I didn't know all this. Right. I have so many people message me and say, I'm sorry to tell you, like, I'm, I just didn't know and I feel embarrassed and yeah, those are normal feelings to feel right. Um, but take that and use it for fuel to, to want to do more. Right. What did my Angelo say? That'd be a good quote to end on. Yes. Whenever you know better, you do. But yes, yes. No, but it's true. Like whenever you do know better, like you will do better. That's right. Um, That's right. And actually really knowing better and yeah. wanting to do better. So yeah, I remind myself of that quote a lot during this, even when I'm still shocked, like I didn't know, but I, I remember my Angela's those words a lot because that is encouraging. All right, well then move forward and know better and do better. So yeah. we'll end on that, Letty. I could keep yeah. talking to you. We've already gone way over time. So I know you're <laughs> a busy woman, so I appreciate all your time. And then we didn't even get into the women and voting. And oh, all. I know. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to have you back, Letty, when we get close oh, yes. to voting season, because I'd love having a conversation about it. It would be yeah. really, really good, too, because that's a, just a fascinating, eye-opening conversation in itself. So... Oh, yeah. I'm totally down. I'm a busy okay. woman, but I'm, I make time. For okay. That would be awesome, Letty. So thank you for your time today. I sure appreciate it, Letty. And you yeah, thank, uh, thank just you for having me. All, all your work and all your time and your grace and patience with us white people. Thanks for listening, learning, and leaning in today, friends. I know we dove into some hard topics that were likely uncomfortable to hear, but as we discussed, historical literacy is part of this journey with dismantling white supremacy in this country. I can't encourage you enough to check out Letty's podcast, Sincerely Letty, where she really dives deeper into true American history and racial justice issues. The links to Letty's podcast, website, and Patreon page can all be found at HerStorySpeaks.com under the Episodes tab. So go check out more of Letty's work and support her as she helps us in our anti-racism journey.